following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. message is entitled, One Life to Live. One Life to Live. Let's pray. Lord, we come into this house to meet you. You called us here. Your Holy Spirit prompted us to come. And so we have come. And I pray now that as I speak your word, you will warm our hearts and quicken us and open our eyes of understanding that we would not live with any illusion about what it means 
to be a Christian. I pray, Lord, that today we could see the reality of what it means to follow you. That all false illusions would be cast aside. Let us apprehend the truth of this baby who was born amongst us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. The greatest single event that has happened in the whole span of verse history was the birth of a baby, Jesus. Jesus' coming was not a comfortable time for a number of people. And what I want you to begin to see today is that God does not mind disturbing our lives. I tell you, when I was 15 and 16 years of age, I expected certain things to happen in my life. I knew I was going to go to college. I knew after college I would go to seminary. I was going to try to get a scholarship. Then I was going to be a pastor. And then I was going to become a bishop. I was going to marry a beautiful woman. I was going to have children, and we were going to live happily ever after. Are you kidding me? God had other plans. So plan all you want for your wonderful life, but when God begins to intervene in your life, things begin to happen that can be very, very uncomfortable. And you may be tempted to say, why is this happening to me? Because God's in charge, not you. And he's the one who will determine the course of your steps, not you. But that takes some getting used to, to begin to understand that we're not in charge of our lives. Because everything I've always been told, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Ray, you're tough, get going. It was a lie. That's how men die. It's not the truth. And so when Jesus came, he was very disturbing to people's lives. There was a man who had waited all of his life for the lot to come up so that when he went to the temple, he could perform the sacred services of the temple. He was delighted. The family celebrated. They had a big party together. And off he went to the sanctuary, to that great temple of God, for his once-in-a-lifetime chance to function as the priest of God. And he's standing beside the altar, and suddenly an angel shows up. Your life will never be the same after an angel shows up. And this angel begins to speak to him and tell him about his wife, who is well along in years, that she's going to have a baby. And Zachariah's response, remember, he's prepared all of his life to go to the temple so that he can perform a holy service. But the angel jostled him. And out of his mouth comes, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. And the angel said, I am Gabriel. 
Might as well have said, you fool, don't you know I stand in the presence of Almighty God? And that God's arm is not too short and whatever he says is going to happen? I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Oh, warning, red, red flag time. When God comes and he begins to speak to us what his will is, and we say, how can that be? I don't believe it. And the angel of God then has to begin to bring discipline upon our lives. I mean, what greater discipline could he place on Zechariah than say to this Jewish man, okay, you can't talk anymore. He's silent now. He can't go home and talk about his work in the holy sanctuary, exercising his one time in his life chance to be the priest of God. He can't go home to the party and say, look what happened. All he can do is humbly write on a piece of paper to his wife, honey, you're going to get pregnant. And I'm sure she said, honey, what have you been drinking in the temple? I'm going to have a baby? What do you think I am, Sarah? The whole family's in shock. And then everybody begins to laugh because she begins to grow. She has morning sickness. All the signs are there. And everybody's laughing with her and rejoicing. And over in the corner, you see Zachariah. Can't talk. Mom has much to say and can't say a thing. Now, please understand, God is disrupting their whole lives. This older woman never considered the possibility that she would have to nurse a baby or chase after it. Or bathe it. She's an old lady. She doesn't want to do all that. She's, she's done her life's work. And God says, no, you haven't done your life's work yet. You know, I've talked to grandma and grandpas who are raising their children's children. They're some of the bravest people I know. No longer the strength of youth, but raising a little baby out of love. I think God has a special place in his heart for grandmas and grandpas that raise little children. But the story continues. Again, in a place that we don't know what it looks like, there is a command center. And Gabriel is summoned to that command center. And he is told, now it's time. Go to the Virgin Mary. I wonder if Gabriel said to the Lord, but what's this going to do to Joseph? And what's this going to do to the family? I mean, don't we always consider, 
If I do this thing that God is calling me to do, what impact will this have on my family? Can I tell you a secret? God's commands in your life will always inconvenience everybody you know. You feel like I am. I've said on a number of occasions, Lord, you know if I do this, it's going to have these ramifications in my family. Do it. Speak it. Go. I hope you're catching a very simple point. The life you think you have to live is not yours to live. And God will send his angel at the most inopportune times. And he will suddenly shift the whole course of your life. Everything you thought that was going to be will not be. But something else will take place. Because God has stepped in. And your life is turned upside down. The brother who marries the beautiful woman. Thinking, okay, we have children. It might be nice to have one more baby. And they have twins. And he says, how am I going to support all of these children And God turns his life upside down. Listen. God sent the angel Gabriel. This is Luke, the first chapter, verse 26. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. I can almost see it on Google Maps. Right? This huge display up in heaven. And they plug in the coordinates and suddenly it begins to zero in and zero in until, okay, there's that's Mary right now. Gabriel says, I'm on my way. She was a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. Joseph was an older man. He already had children. He already had sons that were grown. Evidently, his wife died. And now he's going to marry this woman, this maiden, this virgin. A man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Be very careful when God comes to you and says, You are highly favored by God. You're in trouble. Your whole life is about to shift. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. I don't want to pass that by. In Gabriel's estimation, the highest possible value for a human being is that they would find favor with God. Who do you want to find favor with? That seems to be even more important than God. 
This is part of the transition that God is leading his people through. He is causing us to increasingly see that there truly is only one person that we're to find favor with. And that is the Lord God of heaven. But you cannot hold on to your life and expect to find favor with God. The condition of finding favor with God is that you be willing to lay your life down. Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. The name Jesus meaning he saves his people. The same name in the Greek that we find in the Hebrew, Joshua. Moses never caught on that he would never be allowed to bring the promise, the the children of Israel into the promised land. It was utterly impossible from the very beginning. Only a Joshua could bring the people into the promised land. It was type and antitype. Moses was a man of law. Joshua was a deliverer. Jesus came. Joshua came. Now watch. Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will be with child. Give birth to a son. And you're to give him the name Jesus or Joshua. Yeshua. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. This is called in theology the incarnation. The incarnate Christ. Do you understand that before this time, This person we know as Jesus was not named Jesus. He was for the first time being named Jesus by an angel, by Gabriel. What was his name before this? We don't know. No one knows what his name is. All of the names that we are given of God, including the name Jesus, represent an aspect of his salvation process for us. So the name Lord means past, present, and future. It is the verb to be. It's all a description of the salvation process. And at the very heart of the salvation process is what we call the incarnation. The incarnation is when God becomes man. Now, if you go back and you look at what happened in Genesis as this serpent dragon comes speaking, he was the most powerful of all of God's creation. His name was Lucifer. He was a seraphim. He was a a warrior angel, a guardian angel. And he was the chief of the guardians. He was the 
the Delta Force commander. He was the ranger. He was the best of the best. And when he walked in rebellion against God, he took a third of the angels with him. And now, God creates an earth, and he places on the earth the weakest of all of his creations, and he called them Adam. This serpent dragon looked at Adam and Eve and said, I can take them down. This is no contest. The devil knew that this was a field of battle. He knew it was an earth that was created to be a field of battle. He understood that this was where eternity was going to be worked out and that either he would be cast into hell or he would become God. And he saw that the challenge was to take the wife of God and seduce her and take her away. He never imagined, he never imagined in his wildest imagination that God would come and become the weakest of God's creation. He could not fathom that kind of sacrifice, that kind of giving up of his life. He couldn't fathom that. He was about power. He was about authority. He was about prestige. I think Satan must have been very puzzled about this baby that was born. Was this baby really the almighty God of heaven? The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now I want you to see Mary's response. She says, how will this be? She says, how do I cooperate with you? God does not like why questions. Why questions always have an element in them of accusation. Why questions always have a victim mentality. What's happening to me? Why isn't God doing this for me? Why isn't God doing that? Always why is an angry question. God loves how, when, where. And usually we like to ask why questions. Because we think if we gain enough knowledge and enough wisdom that we'll then be able to figure out for ourselves what we want to do. The question is not why. The question is how. How do you want to bring this to pass, Jesus? How do I cooperate with you in this process? But please, again, in order for me to ask the question how, I have to recognize that my whole life is about to be transformed. It's about to be changed. And if I have my agenda that I'm pursuing, if I have my course laid out, and I'm not going to change my course for anybody, for any reason, this is what I'm going to do, 
then God can't speak. We blow him off. We have our agenda. We know what we want. And that's when we begin to say to God, why are you doing this to me? Why are you treating me this way? Why questions rise out of a heart of rebellion? It's the how question that says, Lord, I'm willing to go where you want me to go, and I'm willing to do what you want me to do. Now, how do I do it? How do I get there? And when do I step into it? And where will the resources come from to make this happen? And there's one other one. God, I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting on you. Psalm 27. Somebody this last week called me after the radio broadcast. He said, Pastor, I've been listening to you for quite a while. And I have a problem. Yes, what is it? I want to be entirely sanctified. When's God going to do it? He didn't ask me, how is God going to do it? He said, when is God going to do it? And my answer was, expect it every moment of every day. Be patient and wait on the Lord and he will do it. He said, you mean I have to wait longer? What if I give up? Then you're in trouble. Wait on God. And he will do it. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Holy, the Most High, will overshadow you. So the Holy One is to be born, will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. I'm surprised that she did not say, Lord, what's Joseph going to say? And how do I tell Joseph I'm pregnant and it's not his baby? My family's going to stone me. What's this going to mean to me? I don't know how God accomplished this in Mary's heart. But Mary was not looking at what would happen to her. She had become small enough that God could do something awesome in her body as well as her heart and her mind. Most of us are yet far too big for God to do anything. We're still too full of our own opinions about how our life is supposed to work out. We're still too full of our own plans and our own agendas and our own goals and and our own ambitions. We're too invested in a happy life, quote unquote. And we want to avoid all change and all pain and all difficulty. 
I pray today for Mary's heart, for me and for you. That we could simply say, Lord, how is this going to happen? When do you want to make it happen? And how do I cooperate with you? And I'm going to wait on you now. You understand, when the angel spoke to Mary, the Holy Spirit did not immediately fall on her and make her pregnant. I don't know what the period of time was between the announcement that this would take place and when it took place, but knowing God as I do, I know there was a period of waiting that Mary had to go through. And I'm sure every morning when she woke up, she felt herself. And she took some deep breaths to see if she was feeling any morning sickness. And she was saying, am I pregnant yet? And one morning she woke up. And she knew everything in her body had changed. She knew she was pregnant. And now how does she tell Joseph? Can you imagine a more embarrassing situation for a young virgin to be in than to have to tell the man she loves and wants to marry that she's pregnant? Is he going to believe her that the Holy Spirit gave her this baby? Come on. How many men would believe that? How many family members would believe that? Look, honey, we know how you got pregnant. There's only one way. And she says, no. The Holy Spirit overshadowed me. I am pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Turn with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew, the first chapter. Verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. So he had in mind to divorce her quietly. In other words, Joseph did not believe that this baby was from the Holy Spirit. He believed that she had been unfaithful to him. Now please, I have to come back again. It's the reoccurring theme. We have only one life to live. You're going to go through one time, and then you're going to face the judgment bar of God. You don't get to go around time after time. This is not Groundhog Day. You don't get to live it and live it and live it until you get it right. You do it one time, you go through. And then the judgment bar of God. When God begins to step into a person's life, The person's agenda has to be laying aside. The goals and objectives, the ambitions of that life have to be laid aside. Because God has an agenda that he wants to carry out. Numerous are the stories of 
young men or women who have their college degree, their graduate study finished. They're ready to embark on a great career. And suddenly God steps into their life and sends them to the mission field where they go to India or Africa or Saudi Arabia or another part of the world. Or may I say it? They go to America, the greatest mission field in the world. And their whole life is turned upside down and they forsake their career and they give themselves wholly to the work of God. Has God come calling in your life? And you were so determined to continue pursuing the course you were on that you pushed him away? I remember in my life, And I say my life because at that point it was my life. I pushed the call of God away. He called me to leave a denomination. I was very successful as a pastor in that denomination. I was well respected. I was on a fast track for leadership. We had a conference-wide meeting. And a very important post had to be filled. And they did it by ballot. When they announced the ballot, I had the most votes of any of the men in that large assembly. And I was given that place of honor. One year later, one year later, I was fired by my bishop. I know what happened. God called me to leave that church and that denomination. And when I hesitated, he said, I will put a spirit of bitterness between you and them. And I watched as a new president, a new bishop came in. And within one year, I was out. It was over. And God sent me on a course that terrified me. I'm still on that course. I'm still doing what he called me to do. Minus all the denominational support and trappings. As God called you to take a step of faith and you said no, When God steps into our lives, he treats our lives as though they were his life. And he utterly inconveniences everyone around us and threatens the well-being of many around us. Is that okay with you? Will you go where Jesus calls you? And will you do what Jesus calls you to do? And will you simply ask the question, how do you want me to do this? And when do you want me to do it? 
And where will the resources come from? I am yours. Let it be unto me as you would choose Jesus. Joseph was going to divorce her. Put her away quietly so she would not be stoned to death. That was the penalty of a pregnancy out of marriage. Joseph said, I'll put her away quietly because I did love her. But then in verse 20, after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child, and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And he took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Please understand the cultural meaning of what I've just read to you. He took Mary home as his wife, but she was not his wife. You find in Luke the story of the birth of Jesus. Listen. Chapter 2, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him. Pledged to be married, but not married. In that culture, you were not married until the marriage had been consummated. So she gives birth to a child, and she is not his husband, not his wife. She is simply pledged. They are engaged. What's mama going to say about that? What's the family going to say about that? Some of you are waiting on God for some things that are precious to you. Some of you are waiting for a wife or a husband. Some of you are waiting for a child. Some of you are waiting for a job opportunity. Some of you are waiting for school. Some of you are waiting on finances. If God calls you to, are you willing to lay aside everything you're waiting for to be the bride of Jesus Christ? Will you allow God to totally transform and change your life? 
bringing into your life unexpected people, unexpected opportunities, unexpected impossibilities? Are you willing to let God do with you what he wants? We sing that song. You are the potter, I am the clay. Sounds very pretty until he slams you down on the wheel and begins to shape you into something that you never imagined you would ever be. Are you willing for God to get his fingers around your life and begin to mold you into what he desires you to be? Or do you have your course set in stone and you are going to do what you want to do no matter what? Are you willing to say to Jesus, how will this be, Jesus? You face the utter end, the impossibility. You have no way to rescue yourself. You have no way to deliver yourself. Are you willing to go to Jesus and not say, why is this happening to me? Are you willing to go to Jesus and say, how is this going to work out, Jesus? How do you want me to cooperate with you? What are you going to do here? I'm standing on tiptoe watching. I spoke with a man this last week. I have to tell you what his nickname is. He's 87 years old. And my nickname for him is St. Michael. Because if there was ever a saint, this old man is a saint. He still works out three times a week, and I always see him at the club when I go. And he makes a beeline to me to talk about Jesus. And we always end up 45 minutes to an hour sharing Jesus with each other. And he said to me, Pastor, I'm getting old. And I've been saying to Jesus, how do you want me to grow old? And what do you want me to do for you as I grow old? I said, your name is certainly St. Michael. As infirmity grows upon him, he's saying, Jesus, how can I give you glory and honor as I deal with my health? I hope you're catching it today. Your life does not belong to you. It belongs to Jesus. And your agenda and your ambition will be replaced with what Jesus has for you. If you will allow him to do that, if you will allow him to mold you as a potter molds the clay, and what will we be in the end? We will be the glorious children of God, shaped in the likeness of Jesus. But we may never have what we thought we wanted. We may never get what our heart cried out for. Our family may not be happy with our choices to follow Jesus. Friends may turn aside and scorn us because we made the decision we would follow Jesus no matter what the price, no matter what the cost. It's Christmas. 
usually we think about the gifts that we will receive. I urge you this year, what gift will you bring to Jesus? Frankincense? Myrrh? Gold? Your life. To be laid before him. That no longer will we make any plans except those plans given to us by the Holy Spirit. Hearts poured out in love for others. Knowing we but have one life to live. And it belongs to Jesus. Don't try to steal it from him. Look, can I be real straight? Some of you right now have stolen your life from Jesus. And you're determined you're going to have it your way. And you're going to force the world to give you what you want. Things are going to work the way you want them to work. I plead with you today, give up that crazy notion. Things are going to work out the way Jesus wants them to work out. He will have his way. Will you trust him? And simply say, how do you want to do it, Jesus? I'm your servant. I belong to you. You have a difficulty. You're caught in a trap. There seems no way out. Turn it over to Jesus and say, Jesus, you are my way out. I trust you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm very grateful today that I have but one life to live. That I don't have to keep going back and going back to try to get it right. Lord Jesus, I just give you my life. I give you my life. And I ask today that you would move in the heart of every person in this house that you would order our steps this week, bringing the deliverance that we have been looking for. And we will give you the praise and the honor and the glory. Not demanding that you tell us why you're doing it, but Lord, we will simply praise you and worship you and trust you. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your mighty name. Amen. Oh uh-huh.
Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you.
His home. 